Um, this morning I was scheduled to uh, teach on uh, John 14, um, and we're going to shift uh, that uh, a little bit this morning to uh, Luke, uh, and our text will begin in Luke uh, chapter 12, uh, verse 54, with the primary emphasis on 13, 1 through 5, but we'll, we'll, we'll walk it through uh, to uh, Luke chapter 13, verse 9. And so the reason for that is um, this week we had a, just an unfathomable, uh, horrific tragedy uh, in Texas, as we all know about. And just like many of you, I became uh, fixated a little bit on cable news and um, watching the events. And they introduced, uh, on, on several channels, they introduced the, quote, Reverend Doctor and um, minister, uh, pastor of uh, local churches in, in, in the area. And what was presented uh, to me was like, uh, I think Nancy had to restrain me uh, a little bit. Because the emphasis became politics, and the emphasis became uh, philosophy, rather than ministering and speaking to the, the, to the brokenness of the parents in, in the community. They kind of got to that, but after they gave their little liberal uh, political spiel, um, and it just made me, like, ask a very simple question. Like, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus say to uh, a tragedy? What would he say to... What would he say to us today? And how to, to respond to that? And I think the narrative that uh, Dr. Luke gives us, helps us to, to move to that point. It helps us to move from why did this happen to what does this mean to me? And, and if I can get a hold of that meaning, meaning how does it transform my life to, to step into someone's brokenness and to make a difference in the little world that I live in. On Friday, I met with a public school teacher. It's not in this area where I live in Salem. And we met for prayer, and I was like, how's your heart? How's your kids? How's your students? And he became emotional and teary-eyed and said, we're all, we're all walking with such anxiety that I don't know what to do. And it begs the question that when we're faced with these type of calamities, what would Jesus do? How would Jesus speak to the situation? And how can we kind of do that bridge from Bible time to our time 
to equip us to be able to process it and, and equip ourselves to be able to speak. Hopefully we'll get there today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for gathering us together this morning. And I pray that you would speak to our hearts and you would comfort us, that you'd bring hope. And where there's that anxiety that we're dealing with because of where our own kids are at, I pray, Lord, that you'd help us and that your grace would become readily available to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. In chapter 13, before we get there, in verses 1 through 5, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they come and, and, they, and they ask him, one about a situation, a tragedy that was perpetuated and initiated by an evil person, Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate came to a group of Galilean Jews who were worshiping. And he had his soldiers murder them. And the religious leaders are like, like, why? Then there's a second episode that we can see in our text. It's a complete accident. There was a tower. Nehemiah 3 helps us to understand what that tower was, Tower of Siloam. And it was by a pool of water and not quite sure the archaeology tells us that it was a substantial column, a pillar, that either upheld a roof or was somewhere positioned next to the pool. And that, that tower fell down and 18 people lost their life. And the question is, well, 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 well why? And Jesus is going to answer and, and address those things. Before we get to those five verses and what follows, look at the context of the verse. Look at the context of the the narrative. We find the context in 54, verse 54, verse 55, verse 56 of Luke chapter 12. And Jesus says to the religious leaders, he he was confronting them about their lack of discernment their their lack of wisdom in responding to the events of their day. Their lack of discernment, their lack of wisdom, which flows into 13, right? One through five, helps us understand their mental state, their spiritual state. And Jesus says to them in those verses, 12, 54, 55, and 56, he says, he says, Boys, he says, you got your iPads out and you're tuned to the weather. You know, when the weather fronts are coming in, you know when it's going to rain, you know when it's going to sun, the sun shines. And he goes, you know all about the weather, but you're clueless as to what is going on in your own time, in your own day, you are clueless about what's happening in your culture. You're clueless what's happening historically, and it's right in front of your face, and you lack discernment, and you lack wisdom. You can see that in, the, in verse 56. It says, you hypocrites, 
You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And the obvious factor, the obvious, was that the Messiah had come. And their view of the Messiah was completely skewed because of their own sinful hearts and their own inability to discern the times and to have wisdom. And so Jesus goes on and gives them a little illustration. He says, and why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. You say, that is like, like what is that? It, it doesn't, like, it seems out of nowhere. Well, contextually, it, can tec- it connects with the text, verses 1 through 5 which is Jesus tells them to repent. Jesus tells them to turn. And the illustration is about everyone has a debt to pay. Best go settle that debt. And he's looking and he's speaking to the sinfulness of their own heart and their need to experience redemption in Christ. Their need for their sin to be atoned for. And so, contextually, when we come up into this verse, these verses, verses 1 through 5, we have religious people who can't discern the times, have no wisdom in how to respond to the times, and have no self-awareness of their own depravity and their own need. In other words, they lack self-awareness. They don't know what's going on inside of them. Some of the women are saying, that's every man I've met. And when we arrive at the text, they want to know why. They want to test Jesus, and Jesus responds to them. What the underlying assumption of the verses is, is a judgment against something that happened to the people, either through evil or through an accident. There is a religiousness about it, and we'll get to this in the application. Rather than weeping with the people that had experienced brokenness, their attitude was, well, why? And the underlying assumption of that is something's wrong with them. They must have sinned. They must have done wrong. And Jesus takes it out of the philosophical world, takes it out of the religious world, and brings it into their own heart. And rather than answering the question why, Jesus will say to them, how does this impact your heart? How does this change your heart? How will you respond to another person's tragedy, to another person's brokenness. And Jesus removes it out of that, that, that world where there's no answers and brings it down to the fact 
that each one of us can respond to the brokenness of our world. And how do we do that? Come to the text with me. Verse 13, yeah, chapter 13. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So we don't know anything, anything more about the event other than this. It's the same that happened in California in the past couple of weeks. People are worshiping God, and what happened? A gunman comes in, causes chaos in the Korean church, and they're saying like to Jesus, like, well, they're worshiping. They're righteous. And they're equating someone's, say, sinfulness or righteousness with, 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 with an outcome. What is Jesus, how does Jesus handle that? Verse 2, and Jesus answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? It's kind of like Jesus is saying to them, because of their religiousness of equating bad things happening to good people as they deserved it. Didn't they deserve it? The text continues. Verse 3, he says, No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And so Jesus is doing two things with the text, two things with the narrative. He's saying that the evil that was perpetrated on those innocent people, this life is not all there is. There's a judgment seat coming. And there will be no one that will escape the judgment of God. And so what Jesus does is broaden their worldview by saying, this life is not all there is. And if you think they're going to escape judgment, they're not going to escape judgment. And then he takes a step deeper into their heart, and then he turns it on them. He says, except you repent, you will what? Perish. And that's a, that is a horrible word. Perish as in eternal damnation. You say, what? Yeah, Jesus takes it out of the why to like, how are you going to respond? How is this going to transform your life? How is this going to change your life? And he takes it off of the philosophical in the religious sphere, and he says, how is this going to change your life so you can minister, not only for your own benefit, but for the benefit of those people? Then there's a second illustration. Not evil, but an accident. Look at it with me. He says in verse 4, of those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you, think that, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jer Jerusalem? And, th and that's what we do as religious people. And extreme religious people do it all the time. Oh, they, that person, that person that died from cancer 
at 56, there must have been sin in their life. Yeah. Something's wrong with them. They didn't pray the right prayer. Jesus will have none of that. Jesus comes at it that there's no connection between evil and accidents in, in that, that individual state in, the, in this text. Now, we know if you go out and, you know, you have a 12-pack and you get in your car and you crash and you kill yourself, there's a direct connection there between the 12 brews and your demise. So let's not get carried away here. But Jesus will have none of their what? Their religiousness, the hardness of their heart, their lack of compassion for people. And he says the same thing to them. Look, look what he says. He says, are those 18 on whom the tower and Siloam fell and killed them? Do you think that they were the worst offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all, what? What did you say? Perish. Perish. And then he ends up, and this will make a transition to application. How do we work this out? How do we apply all this to our lives in the face of not just the tra tragedy in Texas, all shooting-related tragedy in Texas, tragedy in Buffalo, tragedy in California, and last night, a tragedy in Tennessee. Jesus ends this, this little section with a parable in verse 6, 7, 8, 9. It says, And he told them this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Check in with me. Who do you think the vine dresser is? You can hold that. Who's the vine dresser? Who's he pointing to? What's the, what's the point of the parable? And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree. This is the, the, the guy that planted it. You know, I, I've not found any fruit. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And the vine dresser answered him, sir, let it alone. This year also, and, and I'll dig around it and, and put some manure on it. Then it should, I'm hopeful. Then it will bear fruit next year. Well and good, but if not, then you can cut it down. Who's the vine dresser? How does it relate to verses 1 through 5? How about 2 Peter 3.9? You know what that says? The Lord is what? He, he's patient. He's slow. He doesn't wish anybody to perish. And when we pull it together and Jesus takes it out of the why and puts it on, how is this going to impact your life? It's like we're all going to face, all going to face the day where we live, leave this life. And so the things that happen to us in the patience of God and all the knocks on our heart are meant to produce one thing. That we would love Christ. That we would repent of our sins so we would not, what? 
so we would not perish. When we reflect on, and, and it, you know, I'm, some of you think I've been around for 100 years, but I'm really not. I have 66 in the books in about a week. Yeah, thank you. But I have to say that the last few years have been, been very difficult. Very difficult. From Afghanistan to, depending upon who you read, one million people lost their lives through COVID. To all these horrendous acts of evil, it does prompt the question, how do we respond to those things? How do we process these things? I want to offer you a few things, maybe five. That's what's in the notes. The first one is that we can love and cry with those who are broken, Romans 12, 15. We can love and cry with those who are broken because life is short and life is fragile. If there's one thing I've recognized in the last six years since I turned 60 is just how fragile life is. About, how, about the, the courage and fortitude and strength it takes for a little baby in the womb to be birthed today. In the face of political ridiculousness about, about little babies and how that little baby is born in the, in the struggle to get there and the, to be born and then, and then life and it's hard. Life is fragile. I look over there where Steve Day used to sat. COVID, he's gone. And we can, we can step into people's brokenness. I mean, we can step into their world with with love and with a weeping heart. Secondly, what can we do or what would Jesus say is that we can, we can help people in the midst of their brokenness, in the midst of their pain, we can help people by presenting to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. That yes, I know your heart is broken, but God is still good. Yes, I know that your loved one has been taken from you, but you will see them again because nothing is lost in Christ. That's what the Bible tells me in Romans 8. Neither life, what? Nor will ever remove us from the love of Christ. Nothing. Many times in ministry, people ask me this question. What do you say to people when you go to the ICU? I mean, what are the words you come up with when, you, when the doctors are all in a huddle and, 
And they break and they say, you know, we're sorry. There's, there's no more that can be done. What do, I mean, what do you say to them? Sometimes I say nothing. I am just present. I am just there for them. I am there because I bring Christ into the midst of their brokenness. Because I have the Godhead who lives inside me. I bring him into that environment. Some of you wonder, you'll say, you know, you've heard about this prayer team ministry we get up, get up here, and you know, you're wondering, like, I, would, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what to pray for. How, how, how do I come up with the words? I don't know what to pray for. And you know what my response to that is? Praise God. You don't, you don't know what to pray for. Because it's, it's, it's not about having the magical prayer. It's about bringing Jesus into brokenness. Bringing Jesus into pain. It's about, Holy Spirit, help me to know what to pray for the person. It's about a dependence upon Jesus. It's, an, it's not about having... You know, remember that prayer you prayed 20 years ago for Aunt Alice? You know, the one that worked. And that's the only prayer you pray. Thinking that it depends on you. It doesn't depend on you at all. What depends on you is, is will you step into that? What would Jesus do? We can model and call for humility of heart because humility of heart allows the grace of God to flow from us to touch the other person's heart. That's what we can do. We can weep and be available and touch the person's heart. We can respond with compassionate relief. I read a story about this woman who was in Philadelphia And she packed up her car with flowers and drove the 1,500 whatever miles to Texas with a car full of flowers. And they asked her, why did you do it? And she said, it's the only thing I knew I could do to show that I am sorry and I love these people. We all have this 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 little sphere where we can make a difference in people's lives. What Jesus is saying to the religious people is stop asking why and start asking, how does this impact your life? How does this bring repentance and change? And how does it empower you to touch those that were slain and to touch those who lost their life through the accident. That's the answer, folks. Do you think Eddie Conway from Medfa can do something that's going to impact the United States? Well, with God, all things are impossible. No. (laughs) All things are possible. Most likely, no. But I can pray for a gym teacher and Salem and say, I don't have any answers for you, 
other than let me give you a hug and let me encourage you that you're God's man in that place for those kids right now. Last one. We can resist to have all the answers. Jesus does not answer all the questions stemming from the 18 who died when the tower fell, nor those who were slain. But he does do this. He offers them redemption. He offers them grace. He offers them a way to stop asking why and to say, how can I respond with the grace of God because if my heart, go back to the parable now, we'll tie it in. Because if we have been transformed, there will be a fruitfulness about our life that touches people with the grace of God. And so as we process through this as, a, as, as an individual, as a community, you know, one of our parents here got a call from the grammar school kids, completely just broken. Parent has to go to the school and get the kids and bring them home. We can, if we're aware and have wisdom and discernment and know the times that we live in, that we have opportunity to step into people's pain and their brokenness and to be present with them with the love and mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen?